Hello and welcome to Game of Bones, a podcast where we were looking back and re-watching Game of Thrones an episode at a time. I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, our very own mountain, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. And we are up to season four, episode five, first of his name. Uh, first and foremost, apologies, this one is slightly delayed. I've had some life shit going on um is the best way to put it so i wasn't really in a frame of mind to record last week uh but nevertheless i am back um so i was keen that we move this thing forward just because i know mark and myself are keen to get through this season and on to the next as quickly as we can so it's been a while since i watched this episode <laughs> i think it's been about two weeks since i watched this but i've got plenty of notes so i'm sure mark will steer me right if i uh, go too far off the path because you you actually did the work and watched it again last night didn't you <laughs> well to be fair I, mean, I watched it about two weeks ago when we were uh, prepared to record it first time and then obviously shit happened um and so we we we, we called it for, uh, for a couple of weeks and then i thought right i can remember most of it but i can't remember the running order um and my notes aren't that great because they're invisible um so i thought right, i'll watch it again and just to bone up on it um and turned out i remembered more of it than i thought so we, we should be okay but just, so, just a disclaimer, if, if, if we fuck it up, that's why. So, yeah, so between us, what we're saying is between us, we have like one set of notes and one fresh watch. So there's like, there's one full show's worth between us, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's about what we normally have, to be fair, isn't it? Yeah, we're probably about as prepared as normal, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not looking for, you know, to make any excuses, guys. But yeah, it's been a while and I've had some shit. So, but I was keen to to push on with this, so... The other shows will be back shortly as well. Um, I just don't have a massive amount of expendable time at the moment, uh, nor am I in the particular frame of mind to be watching a bunch of cartoons. So those shows will be back shortly as well. But in the meantime, I thought we'd we'd crack on with, with Game of Moans at the very least. So, as I said, Season 4, Episode 5, first of his name, written by the Wonder Twins again. But we do have a female director this week. Uh, so yeah. that's a bonus, at least. Um and actually, the opening scene here is fine. We we come in halfway yeah. through. Um, I mean, it's not exactly an attention grabber, is it? It's not exactly the, the most riveting scene, but no, it's well but handled it's, at it's, least. It's, it's a good scene. It looks it looks nice. Um, I say they've come in. It's paced quite well. They've come in at a good point, and then they don't dwell on the ceremony. So the the scene is um, Tom and being crowned. So we start off with. And we had a couple of weeks ago where um, the Hound and Arya were um, at Farmer's um, house having dinner, and he recites all the all the gods, um, and it, a bit of a joke is made of that, uh, how many there are. So that in this one, we come in halfway through, so we only get four of them, not all seven. Um, so again, nice little throwback to that. But we, you know, we're in the middle of it, and so um, Tom is crowned. There's a really fucking weird shot actually, where um, the the um, scepter or where he is puts the crown on his head. And then, you know, first of his name, long way he reigned. And it cuts to Cersei and Tywin. Now, Cersei is right up against the camera, and Tywin is behind her, or sort of off her right shoulder. His voice is about ten times fucking louder than hers is, and it really jarred, because it's it looked like she should have been speaking, but you couldn't hear her. I can't say I noticed that. Um... I, I noticed it both times. I'd forgotten about it until so I, I noticed it the first time, and then when I watched it again yesterday, um, it's it, it's almost as though they've dubbed the wrong track in so he is speaking when her mouth is moving oh okay i, I didn't notice it's um, yeah it's, it's just i, I think she's got the level wrong i think but it just it, it fucked me off twice and i don't i don't know what it is it's probably just me being arsy but uh 
yeah it was it was quite interesting and then obviously there's some nice framing we get um there's a lovely sort of you know look between uh tom and marjorie and then he you know you can see him he's you know he's, he's his smile is getting bigger and he's you know he's sort of remembered the conversation they had in his bedroom in the last episode and then cersei just steps between the yeah. two of them and it's the ultimate mum cock block it's it's a wonderful shot i've got it down in my notes actually cersei step in between tom and and marjorie yeah. is nice you know it's yeah it is as you say the the ultimate cock blocking and more than that it's a show of power from cersei um it, and this is, is the kind of thing then, go on. i was gonna say it is but then as this scene progresses and this episode progresses actually this is probably Cersei at one of her more vulnerable moments and one of her more honest moments in in this episode. So I mean, it's it start that was my first thinking is that she steps in and she's going to be all again um, acid tongue and all the rest of it. And it's actually a really nice scene between her and Marjorie. The, 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 I think they realise they're both playing the same game and they and for I don't know maybe two or three lines, maybe you know, quarter or half a page, they've gone. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just call it bullshit and just you know, say what we actually think. And it's there was something that, and there's a scene later on with Oberyn as well with Cersei, and yeah, you just get this sense that Cersei is unraveling a little bit. She's not trying to manipulate every situation. She's just kind of, oh, you know what? Fuck it, I need five minutes to breathe. And this was the start of that. And I, I was really surprised. I was expecting it to be a full-on fucking um, verbal catfight. Yeah, I mean, one of the the main things, um, and one of the main reasons I've written the note for this down actually is. I mean, there are some some nice moments for Cersei in this episode. There's some really good stuff. And as you say, they do strip her down. Um, but there is no catfight. And it's because this is far more confident in both its writing and its direction than that. This is, you know, the definition of show, don't tell. Uh, yeah. We don't need the catfight between Cersei and Marjorie because this shot gives us everything that we need. When she steps in, this is her basically saying, uh, no, back the fuck away from my son. Uh, hmm. And that's all we need. It's it's there. You don't need to recite that again. You, you know, no, we don't that, need it spelled right. out think, for us. No, and I think the, the the reason it so stuck out so much for me is that it's very rare in the show that we get that treatment and that it's respect. Very, very rare. Um, which is a shame because this again just goes to show that with the right team, they can do this kind of thing, um, and it's so much stronger and so much more interesting than just having pages and pages of exposition. Um, yeah. You know, and then, yeah, as you say, we get that chat between Cersei and Marjorie and Cersei's sort of talking about Joffrey in, in comparison to Tommen. And it's really nice. You know, she she knows that Joffrey was a cunt. She is acknowledging yeah. it here. Um, and, and it's nice, as you say, it, it strips a beer and it's like, yes, he was an absolute cunt, but he was my son essentially yeah. is what she's saying but I, she he, knows... was, he was my, my firstborn as well so i don't know i will always love him despite the fact i know what he was i can't not love him because he was the thing that made me a mother the the other two i was already a mother before i had them he was he was the thing that sort of defined me as such yeah and and even though she's stripped beer and even though you know this is a fairly candid talk between the two of them um yeah, yeah. They, they still there's still just that spark there yeah. as well we where it's it's very clear that these two are and at this point these two are undoubtedly the true power in westeros and yeah. the needle could swing either way but these two are clearly the ones to watch while everybody else is running around like headless chickens these are the two with their eyes on the prize and it's very clear from this conversation from this kind of like i say this candid discussion between them that they, it's almost like two fighters just acknowledging each other essentially yeah. just sizing the other up and just as you say having that brief moment to breathe 
Um, but it's it's very very clear uh, that yeah. they are the true power. I think. Yeah, and, and um, to me, I mean, the way, the way they end it as well with um, you know, so that they, they, you know you have this sort of candid conversation between them both, and then and, and t- talking up Tom and, and how he's you know, possibly the first person in fifty years who actually deserves to sit on that throne because he doesn't have an agenda and all the rest of it. But then right at the end, just to you know, just a reminder that it's there. You get Marjorie saying, "Oh, we're going to be inundated with weddings. I won't know what to call you, whether it'll be sister or mother." And again, it's just that you no know, gleeful little. Yeah, I know we've just had a moment, but fuck you. Just remember who I am. Yeah, and yeah. It was, it's quite nice, but we 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 don't need the build up to it, which we've always had so far. We've always had so much heavy handed writing that this was actually. I say it was the whole scene for me was really nice from start to finish. Yeah, it is excellent scene. Really, really excellent. Um, unfortunately, we do have to move over and spend some time <laughs> with Danny. Um, yeah, and all oh, of her hell. good deeds are undone <laughs> immediately, which you know is hardly surprising. You know, maybe. Just maybe, here's a crazy thought, kids. Maybe she should have actually tried to dispense injustice instead of death on everybody. Well, yeah. Maybe that would have led to a better outcome here. Well, this is, and I mean, I, the, the scene itself, I mean, it starts off, um, so, they're, so obviously they're relaying the fact that Joffrey is dead, so you now news travels fairly slowly um, in, in uh, across the narrow sea, um, and that's fine. And then you get a you know, nice bit of uh, really fucking pointless flirting between her and Daria, where you say, what uh, the no, the second sons took the the navy. Well, why did you take it? Well, you like ships, and the, you know it's that thing of I can't I can't be seen to condone this behavior, but that's really fucking cool. You stole some ships from me, yeah. Now again, typical fucking no. They they're writing her like a teenage girl. Yeah, I was, um, you took the words out of my mouth. It is like adolescent flirting between the two of them, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really clumsy. And then obviously you know his part is done, and you get you no know, he and um, uh, Barristan are saying no. With the army, they've got the ships. They've got. They could take Westeros. No, they could take King's Landing, and then of the the old houses in in Westeros would fall in line because she's a Targaryen and all the rest of it. And Batman steps in again, full on Obi Wan's, and said, "Well, I I wouldn't do that." And again, talk some sense into it. Now, I'm not quite sure. The, the she she kicks them all out and stays with Jorah, and they have like they have this exchange where, well, you told me what you, know, you gave me some advice before. I ignored it, and that went really fucking badly because I'm a stupid twat. Um. So we get that bit, and and you know she's sort of saying, "Oh no, well, I'm I'm going to do what a queen should do. I'm going to rule." But because of the way it's set up and the way that she's gone about seizing power in these places or liber- quote unquote liberating these places, it seems more of a threat. Oh, yeah, absolutely not, does. It absolutely you know, plays I, out like gonna, a threat. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm 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 going to do what a queen does. I'm going to rule. And you kind of get the impression that she doesn't mean that. You mean she's going to sit there and fucking burn everybody who doesn't agree with her. Um, and it's, I don't know, I, I was watching this, and I've, so I've watched it twice now. And both times I'm sat there thinking, I really don't know how to read that scene. Because in an interview with um, the Wonder Twins, they were talking about how this was her sort of maturation, her you know, learning the difference between liberating and conquering and all the rest of it. Uh, we've had that already. We've talked about that a couple of times already. But... For me, it doesn't seem like that moment. This seems like she still doesn't fucking know what she's doing. She's just all of a sudden realised that she doesn't know what she's doing, so she's going to yield to wiser heads. And I don't know, it just seems a bit... I don't, if, if that's what they're trying to achieve, and I say there's the, the making off bit um, at the end of the episodes on um, on the version I've got, and I don't think they've achieved what they think they achieved. Uh, no, I, I don't think they did either. Um, I, I, I think... For me, they probably conveyed the the maturation aspect of it. Particularly, you've got the juxtaposition of this scene straight after the one with Tommen, where he is very green and 
and and that gets called out in that scene as well. You know, as we said, they said he's he's the most worthy person sitting on the throne in X amount of years because he's just and true and has no agenda and things like that. Um, and and you get the impression that he's being bigged up as inexperienced, yes, but somebody that's going to be quite a benevolent ruler. Um, yeah, and we we had that a couple of weeks ago as well. I mean, that conversation you had with yes. Tywin and the, what makes a good king and all that sort of yes. stuff. Yes, and then then we get this juxtaposition straight away where also Danny finally ascended, realised she's now ruling this place, but in, instead of being humble about it, you know, she lays the law down immediately. I will do what queens do. I will rule, mm. uh, and and you know. The, <laughs> There is absolute grit behind her eyes in in this scene. You know, she knows exactly what she means when she says that. She means you will do what I say or I will execute you. Well, yeah, um, yeah, that's it. And, I... you, you know, depending on your reading of the show, like I said, for me, this is stuff that's been there all along. And when it comes to pass, I was not surprised. Um, but no. I, I get the impression from everything that has been said by the cast and even the Wonder Twins themselves since, they didn't kind of know... That's what they were going for at this point, I think. And certainly the fan base as a whole weren't on board with, with this version of Daenerys and still aren't. So it is a weird, as you say, I don't I don't think it means what it is that they think that it means. Um, but to quote a much better fantasy franchise. Um, <laughs> but they, yeah, they do achieve something. For me, it works. Um, it's just... Yeah, yeah it's, it's doing the opposite of what they think it's doing. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It, it it works to progress things in the direction we know they're progressing. But from as you say, from every interview I've read with cast, crew, writers, that's not what they fucking meant. No, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely. And you know, not. there was this big fucking twist apparently, which was like, well, we've fucking seen that coming since day one. It's not a twist if it's a natural progression of someone's arc. Just exactly. Saying. That's um, kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah. So over to Sansa and holy shit, is that a smile? Sansa actually smiles. <laughs> holy I shit. Was, I think it was wind. Yeah, she didn't even break her face. Look at that. Um <laughs> she's capable of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this again this was a funny one cuz you get the bit that you you start where you know they um, she and Littlefinger are walking through this fucking chasm. Um and and you've got your archers bearing down on him, and he says, "No, cover your head, because no fucking so, no soldiers know all about rich girls who escape from King's Landing. So put them. No, you're very distinctive. Put your hood up." And she just fucking bite. No, she's just immediately straight away. Yeah, I'll do exactly what you say. That's fine. And then he again, they launch into this. We, we had a lot in the earlier seasons of fucking pointless history lessons. Yeah, and they were really fucking annoying. It was no Jonah begat Joe begat fucking whoever, and we didn't need it. Whereas now they're actually talking about well. This is this is history and it's world building, but actually it's in context because we can see what the archers are fucking doing. We can see that they are being channeled, no, they are being driven down this channel. It's the only way into the Erie. So again, that it, it makes it that much more interesting because it's visual. It's not just talking. So that that was really nice. I thought that was really good. The one thing I did think is that when we saw the Erie in the first season, when um, Bron was talking about impregnating the bitch, um, I thought it was a really big fucking tower. But then when you look at it this time, it seems to have grown and developed extra wings and shit. Yeah, it definitely did look like a really big tower. Um, 
I hadn't clocked that, but now you're saying it, I can see both versions in my mind's eye. And yeah, I think you're quite right. Um, and yeah, I, I also like the thing about um, about Littlefinger giving us that that history lesson and giving us that exposition for two reasons. One is that, yes, it feels contextual because they're actually walking the path. But two is that bearing in mind that we now already don't trust Littlefinger's motivations with Sansa. Yes. Um, what this also does, as he's he's saying about how difficult it is to get in, is it's sowing the seed in the back of your mind that it's also going to be very difficult to get out. Yes. And so he's leading it into a trap. Um, that all works very, very well. Um, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll say it here and I'll say it in my summing up as well. I think the direction in this episode is very accomplished. Um, yeah. And I think that actually does owe quite a lot to the screenplay. You know, the, the director has to have that to work with or the teleplay as it is in this case. So, yeah. again, credit where it's due. You know, they when they when they get it right, they get it really right. And yeah, this this is a good a good opening and an introduction or reintroduction, if you like, to the eerie. Um, yes. And then we actually get into the into the chamber and just. God, that kid's a little shit, isn't he? Just throwing his toy through the moon door. What an ungrateful little shit he is. Yeah, uh, yeah no, not be funny. Throw that little twat through it. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. I fucking hate him. Um, yeah, um, and I think it's it's really annoying because, I mean, obviously we, we're watching the show retrospectively. Um, no, we, we've seen it, we know where it goes. A lot was made of the Eerie and the moon door and uh, Robin Aaron and John Aaron in the first season. We've not seen them for two and a half fucking years. And now we're back, and then again you think, right? Okay, well, this is done. There's potential for this to to kick off again for them, for this to be important. Um, and you just think, I, I really don't want it to be important because they're both really fucking annoying. Like so Aaron and Robin Aaron should just be fucking killed. Yeah, um, very very annoying characters. Totally agree. Um, but we do get, you know, the the further depths of Littlefinger's deception are, are revealed in this scene as well. You know, he arranged. The death of the Lord of the Eerie—it's—it's it's his doing. Um, yeah. So, and I think yeah. it's that's one of those. I mean, um, last time we saw him, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's on the boat with Sansa, and she calls him out on his bullshit because I mean, he's talking about how he was involved in killing Joffrey and all the rest of it. And he reiterates that he doubles down on it here. But then there's a little bit more cre- um, a little bit more credibility, a little more credence goes to it here because now we know that he has been involved in plots to kill. You know, he was. Yes. He he was complicit in John Aaron's murder because he convinced the Stark raving fucking lunatic to poison her husband. Um, so we you know we get that, and uh, you get the impression that he wouldn't be able to do that with Cat, for example. No, most she's the, way too most, smart. Um, most of the characters we have in this show, um, even the way that most of the women are written in the show, would not be so fucking stupid as to as to follow him blindly. But I don't know whether she's um, she's the ugly duckling second sister or what it is about her that got this fucking thing on her, uh, this massive chip on her shoulder that says, "No, oh, this I will I will do whatever it takes to make you love me." It's that sort of almost desperation, um, and then we get and you know, we we see her unravel later on in the episode, um, yeah. and then put herself back together pretty really fucking quickly. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those. It, it's just. The way this, I mean, I don't know if it's in the book. Um, I don't know whether it's um, the way she's been written for the for the screen, but this character just seems to be all over the fucking place. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. It, I think she just gets away with it because she is so mentally unstable. Oh yeah. So even though the character's all, yeah, although the character is, I agree, all over the place. Um, it it kind of sneaks under the radar because she she can't have too much motivation because she is so fucking crazy. You know, and, I, and I'm not talking, you know, like 
on the spectrum or mental illness or anything like that. Like this is she is a stark raving lunatic. Like yeah. she doesn't know up from down. So there's no there's no clear motivation because I don't think she's got it in her to follow a linear path. So, no, and I, I think I mean I think that's why I think it's probably from the book. I don't think the character is well enough developed in any sense. So we 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 can, we've come back to the area having not been here for the best part of three seasons, and I could give two fucks to be honest. Um, Littlefinger, I can't be asked with anyway. Um, Sansa is now starting to grow, so I'm, I want to see where her story's going. But by and large, she's just another fucking crazy woman who's not been given the time she needs as a character. And I think because she's because she's an incidental character, they just kind of go, oh, well, yeah, we'll just make her a fucking lunatic and then we'll get away with whatever. And, and the problem is they're obnoxious about that as well. Mm. She is yeah. an obnoxious lunatic, uh, yes. if such a thing exists. Um, it certainly makes sense in my head. You know, it's like sometimes you get like people who, who you know, when, when they have too much to drink, they'll, they'll just maybe be a bit happier or giggly or whatever, or they'll zone out. And then you get obnoxious drunks. Yeah. that are just loud and want to fight the world. And and she is an obnoxious lunatic. You know, she's, yes. she's not, like I said, she doesn't just have mental issues or she isn't just, you know, crazy. She is just in your face, obnoxiously insane. Um, yeah. Like she, like she's criminally insane. Simple as that. They don't really have asylums, I guess, in Game of Thrones. But if they had them, she would be in one. Um, yeah. I think so, they'd only have them for four people, wouldn't they? Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, so we get that, and then, and then as if to highlight that, she, she she says, "I'm going to scream when my husband makes love to me." And Jesus, she was not lying, was she? Um, no. It, I mean, fucking hell, that sounds like my neighbours. Um, <laughs> it was uncomfortable. In fact, next time they wake me up shagging, I might put this episode on and just crank it and see, <laughs> just see what happens. Um, again, just obnoxiously crazy i i don't yeah like i do know why they do this is because this is the level of humor that the wonder twins are capable of isn't it they think this is yes. funny um i i get that it's a joke but it's not really yeah. funny is it um not, it's a not bit really obnoxious um to say the least um but yeah so so there's that um thankfully we we quickly move away from there and we're back into just some great great stuff where we get the intro to the iron bank from tywin uh yes. where he's you know again really good writing here where he's comparing it to a temple um yep. and we you know we, we're using that as a device to frame it and set up this intro to the iron bank before we're introduced to it properly yep. um and yeah it just sows those seeds for later on i mean it's great writing and it's in the hands of charles dance so it's yeah, it, it's always going to be good. He's going to be able to take it and elevate it. But he really does do exceptionally well with the stuff that he's got in this scene. Yeah. It, it really does sow the seeds of it. It paints the picture of that Iron Bank, that it is something, it is a force to be reckoned with, if you like, then. And that coming from the force to be reckoned with in the show thus far as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, of course, it's thematically correct. Lannisters always pay their debts. So for him to be talking about the bank and money as well. Uh, yes. Yeah, it just works very, very well. Um now, there's a weird scene then with the Hound and Arya. And yes. I love the two of them. Like, they're great together. But he seems to act with kind of surprise and shock almost. And look, even a little bit hurt when he hears Arya speak his name on the list. Now, yeah. they've been together a fucking while by this point. At least yeah. more than one night. Yeah. So, so you've heard that before. Yeah, surely. But not only that, I mean, she fucking swore vengeance in season one when he killed 
um, what's his face? The fucking butcher's kit. Yeah. Mike here. Yeah. It's so news in summer. Yeah. No, this this shouldn't come as a surprise to him. And I mean, it, it, the exchange between them before that was nice. Where you know, she's he's saying, "No, shut up and go to sleep." So I I can't go to sleep until I've said all the names or what of every cunt in Westeros. And again, it's just that he doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to go to sleep. Um, and then so that you no, know, they have a slightly more real exchange. You know, when he talks about you know, they're talking about his brother and stuff like that. And there's almost a moment, and she she does that, and he, it's 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 like he doesn't know this character at all. Just, Where the fuck did that come from? What did I ever do to you? Apart from kidnap you, try to ransom you, take you to the site of your brother's brother and mother's murder, kidnap you again, hit you every now and again. Yeah, what what did I ever do to you? Yeah, yeah, that's strange. Um, it is. It, it's. I, I I don't get it. <laughs> Simple. I I don't get it. it. It makes no sense. I don't think we need the scene either. Um. So, no, no, I mean, then, yeah, there's there's one other scene between the two of them in this episode, which I don't think is next. I think it comes in a couple of time, a couple of scenes time. Um, all you needed was that. That's a far nicer scene. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah, I've got some stuff to say about that. We we didn't need this scene. Um, I guess it's just filler. Um, yeah, Sansa being happy didn't last very long, did it? Nope. Um, <laughs> you know, we we we're straight back over to the veil and. Fuck me, Littlefinger. I mean, we've already covered it, but Littlefinger has picked a real fucking bunny boiler to make a deal with here, right. hasn't he? Well, yeah, and I mean, but the thing is, it's it's again, you show the way, the way that she's portrayed is that there's this fucking it's going to be some sort of schizophrenia where she just switches from one person to another, and you don't know who you're actually talking to, because you know you, you get the stuff, and again, there's some you know some the pointless character stuff about you know about cats and you know, there's so is there's a nice little bit of bonding between them and then all of a sudden she there's a switch that flips through no fucking reason whatsoever and she starts calling her a whore and saying she's pregnant and like, what the fuck where did that come from and the only good thing i did clock in the, in this exchange is that sansa very quickly realizes how to turn this off she, she realizes what realizes great. what button yeah. And I think this is from the amount of time she spent with Cersei and the Lannisters, is that she's learned how, what, no, I just shut this fucking thing down. I will, whatever I need to say, just to shut the fucking thing down. So she's going to, she's saying, no, she's going on that the little thing is attracted to me and all the rest of it. So I'll make it out that he thinks I'm the stupidest piece of shit he's ever fucking met. And then she'll leave me alone. She'll feel sorry for me again and it'll all go back to normal. And it, it's worked fucking beautifully. And she turned it on a dime. And all of a sudden, where you have uh, Lysa being fucking crazy, you know, she goes from being maternal to being crazy. She goes straight back into being maternal again, and it's almost as if it's like, okay, well, I, no, I turned I turned that one on. Now I'm going to turn it off again. I, I, I turn the key off and pull it pull it out the ignition, and she'll go back to normal. And it was it it was quite masterful from Sansa to actually pull that off. And I thought that worked really well. And it's we're talking about uh, maturation earlier. We're talking about Danny. Um, Sansa for me is a, a develops far more as a character across oh, the eight God, seasons. Yeah. From where she starts to where she finishes, it's absolutely incredible. And I mean, we've talked about Sansa many times over the last couple of seasons, whereby she has and then hasn't and hasn't and hasn't been treated well. And now she's on a journey, and they're actually thinking, right, okay, what do we need to do with this girl to get her where she needs to go? And they started, they started on her path finally, and we're starting to see it come to fruition. So it was a really, as much as this fucking scene annoyed me, and I wanted to throw the screen out the window. Um, that part of it, the way it ended, I thought she did really. I thought that was really well done and really well handled. Yeah, I agree. Um, as I say, these these characters in general annoy me. The setting annoys me, um, but Sansa is so good, and it's so refreshing to finally see her grow and have stuff to do. 
yeah, that I'm all for it. She is phenomenal in the scene, as you say. She managed to turn it on a dime, and then the fire in her eyes at the end of the scene when she's told that she'll marry Robin and she'll become Lady of the Veil, like she's got just real fire in her eyes that basically says, "No, no, I fucking won't." Yeah. And she doesn't speak it out loud, but it's all there. Um, yeah, and it's and it's just great. It is, and I think I mean we're at a point now where she was put into an arranged engagement with Joffrey, then she was forced to marry Tyrion, and now she's going to be forced to marry Robin. And then, fucking we know where it goes from there. So, I mean, it's one of those, you think, she she needs no, she needs to be standing up for herself, and this is the start of that. And, yes, she'll waver, because, no, that's how no, that's how a fucking story arc goes. It's not all fucking sunshine and roses. You, you need to get challenged. But all of a sudden, you've gone from her sitting in the background simpering and being a dyed little teenage twat to being an actual character. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, then we're back with Arya and the Hound and it, like whenever we get to see Arya practicing her dancing essentially yeah, is, yeah. Is, is how she refers to it but so like I love it. It, it it's always so well shot like it's, yeah. we kind of have a mini montage of sorts it just needs some yeah. 80s ballad over the top of it yeah. and, and we're away you know um, it works really well um, and then of course gets interrupted by the Hound and we get this this scene between them, which tells us far more than the previous scene that we didn't really need. There's some great lines in it for the Hound, as always, as well. You know, yes. uh, one of my favourites, I bet his hair is greasier than Joffrey's cunt. Um, yes. Just all in the delivery from him there. Um, and then your friend's dead and Trant's not, because Trant had armour and a big, a fucking, big fucking sword. sword. Excellent stuff. Probably my favourite line of the episode. Um, it is, but no, I mean, I mean, you get the thing where you no, know, she's you no, know, she's doing her uh, water dancing. I think she calls it, isn't it? Yes. Um, and so she, you no, know, she's doing. I say, oh, so give me what you've got then. And she probably sticks. If he won't wear armor, that'd have gone straight through his fucking gut. Um, and obviously, that's where the, the comment comes about. You no, know, Trant had armor, but she fucking went for it. Mm, totally. The, I mean, given the com- no, given the conversation we just had and the, the the exchange they had the night before, with his name being on the list. He actually, he looked genuinely fucking hurt. Like, no, he looked really upset that she tried to fucking stab him. Well, I mean, it's one of, I think it's it's key to the relationship between the two of them. And it's certainly one of the reasons I think that everyone warmed to the Hound so much is that, mm-hmm. I, again, as a character, just like we said with, with Sansa, he is growing. And he is, yeah. as much as he might try and hide it, he is growing very fond of Arya as they spend more and more time together. Um and it's just that because of his past and his upbringing and the environment that he's been in his whole life and and the stigma that he's had because of who he is as well, he just doesn't have the framework, if you like, to deal with these emotions and this connection mm. that he's making. So he constantly falls back on just being a prick. Um, and that's always played very, very well with him. And yeah, you're right. You can see hurt on his face here. Um, mm. And I, and that again is why I don't think we needed the scene earlier on. It didn't need seeding with him hearing the list. No, that's it. You know, it's 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 I mean, all there. The work's been done previously. It's there for us. We know these characters well enough now. Yeah, um, that, that's it. And I think, I mean, you're right. I mean, if we if we hadn't had that scene before, this would have still worked, and the look of hurt on his face would have been a bit more justified because it's easy to forget because of the way that they are and the amount of time they're spending together and the fact he had you know, he has been looking out for, he has protected her. The, the fact his name might be on the list, we if they hadn't told us, we'd go, oh, fucking hell, that was a bit vicious. What's she doing yeah. that for? She could not. Oh, yeah, because he's on the list because he killed the butcher's boy. Whereas because they fucking spelled it out what, five minutes ago, 
yet a bit annoying. I mean, of course, actually talking about um, the Hound there as a, as a character and him growing, I think his is probably one of the more complete character arcs. I think, isn't that? I mean, from, the, from, from start to finish. I mean, he's he start he very much has a start and an end point. Yes, yeah, very much so. Um, that and that's probably one another one of the reasons why people respond so well to him as a character. Mm. You know, he is he is an anti-hero, yes, and and people love an anti-hero as well, so that helps. Um, but yeah, his his arc is complete when we get to the end, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, um, one of my favourites certainly. Um, yeah. And it, I, as I say, a lot of that comes from this stuff because this is where he turns the corner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, back over then to the the second um, scene that we get with Cersei. Really, as as we said earlier on, some wonderful stuff from this episode. Um, and here we have this discussion between Cersei and, and Oberyn. Now Oberyn's always a good time. So yeah. I, you know, I was I was always going to like this scene anyway, um, but especially pairing him and Cersei together, the two bounce off each other very, very well, um, because he's so upbeat and charming, and of course she's so so guarded most of the time and so yeah. calculating, um, but she does allow it to slip slightly with him here. Um, also, not just I mean I said the Hound probably has a line in the episode, and it's funny, but. One of the lines of the show, I think, uh, lands here uh, from Cersei and, it, and it's delivered so perfectly uh, where she just says everywhere in the world they hurt little girls. Yeah. And she delivers it perfectly. It's got so much weight and so much heft behind it from, from an emotional standpoint for her. It says so much, not just about her past, but what she's worried about with her daughter as well. Yeah. Um, it's just such a shame that it's so at odds with the message that we've had so far throughout the show. Yes. Because it's handled so well. And again, female director, you know, fantastic actress, but so much bad has already been done by this show that it, it just cheapens it a little, I think, but it's, oh, it's so good. It's, it's yeah. like goose pimples on your flesh. Good. Yeah, um, definitely one of my favourite lines of the episode. Um, and such a simple I, line, such, yeah. such a simple line. There's nothing particularly eloquent about it. Um, no, and it's it's just that I mean, as is very rare for this show, it's so completely fucking loaded. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you just you know, it's again, it's this sort of thing that it's not the cleverest line in the world, but it's it's so loaded and has so much weight, and we don't expect it from this show. No, I mean we, we've said in the last thirty-four episodes that we've done. You know, very rarely have we talked about subtext and yeah. themes. And yeah. all of a sudden, I mean, this season, it's as, as I said at the start of the season, it's like they've gone, right, okay, we need to up, up our ante, up the ante bit, up our game a bit, because people are starting to take notice of the show. And if we if we keep on, no, if it doesn't improve and improve and improve, people are going to start to wonder what, no, what we're doing, and we might lose our jobs. Whether that was ever the case, I don't know. But I mean, certainly that's the way normal people think, is that if I don't put my finger out and I don't do a half-assed job, I'm not going to have a job forever. Um, but it's like at some point, maybe you know, towards the end of season three, they went right. Okay, we need to fucking up our game a bit, and they really have for this season. So all of a sudden, we're, you know, we've been a lot more positive about episodes and or certainly elements of, of every episode in this season. Whereas by this point in seasons one, two, and three, we're thinking, fucking hell, where's the razor blades gone? Yeah, and I mean, look, just look. I was I was keen to start this show back, you know, earlier than than I think either of us were planning to um it's it's just that i have more spare time than i thought i might um and i I wanted to keep this thing going and 
I think if I'd have been struggling in the same way that we had been in the previous seasons, good God, you probably wouldn't have heard from me for a month or six weeks at the moment with, with the stuff I've got going on. I yeah, would exactly. not have been able to bring myself to just sit down and troll through the just dirge that the last few seasons were. But but this isn't that, you know, and I, I was excited to talk about this episode and I'm excited to move on to the next one. Um, and and it, it's because of stuff like this. Yeah, as we said, this this is a loaded line. And, and we talked about Cersei's character being laid bare um, in her discussions. And she does, you know, they do go on to dig deeper with it as well. But so much of it, like this, just this one line and the performance and how everything is encapsulated in this one, like literally is Cersei laid bare. You know, we, we always talk about her about this strong female and she's scheming and manipulative and power hungry and... She is all those things, but she's all those things because ultimately she's a wounded animal. Yeah. And she is throughout the show. She is constantly backed into a corner because of who she is. She is the only girl in a, in a family full of brothers. She constantly loses children because they get thrown into the spotlight and assassinated because people are looking for the throne. She's just taking blow after blow after blow after blow because she is a woman mm. and that's very rarely addressed in this show but they specifically shine a spotlight on you and it informs so much of who she is because so much of who she is is actually well no fuck you i'm gonna fight back if you put me yeah. in a corner i am gonna come out swinging and that's i think that's why so much of this episode is refreshing because this is one of the rare moments where, yes, okay, she has just lost her son, but her other son has just ascended to the throne. And just for the briefest of moments, for the briefest of moments, there is some semblance of calm for her. Mm, yeah. You know, there, there's not an imminent threat approaching. Um, well, you, and, yeah, and I think, I mean, that was always going to be the thing, wasn't it? So, and uh, where she was talking about, um, her and Marjorie were talking about Tom early on about how, you know, he's... He's just a boy. He doesn't know. He doesn't have his brother's proclivities. Joff, even if the Lannisters didn't have enemies, Joffrey would make enemies because he's such a cut. Yes. Whereas Tommen, it, no, that's not the way Tommen is. And we'll see over the next couple of seasons, that's not the way Tommen rules. No, he, he doesn't go out of his way to be cruel or to humiliate or embarrass people or anything else. He, you know, he wants to be this just, fair, kind, benevolent ruler. So, yeah, I mean... I think from Cersei's point of view, she can you know, there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel whereby she knows she doesn't have to be quite as guarded because yes. the people aren't going to want to you know, string him up in his fucking bed. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. And as I say, that's, they just managed to encapsulate all of that in that one line and that performance of that one line. I say they, so much of the credit, I think, needs to needs to land squarely at the direction of the scene and in the performance because, as we said, the line is simple. Um, yeah. it's that's teamwork between a director and a performer to pull that out of there and they've done it yeah. so so well and it's another one of those instances we've had a few this season uh, where I've talked about just actors and directors just looking for things and actually the yeah. writers then being able to go oh yeah totally yeah yeah that was totally in the text definitely yeah. um, and, and it's now we're now at the point you know where especially the cast know these characters way better than the writers and the showrunners do and that is yes. evident yeah that definitely. is absolutely evident here um so yeah all credit to lena heady there um yeah it's it's, it's yeah 
excellent stuff uh, and then you know we we get the rest of this conversation between Oberyn which is all good stuff you know she has a vested interest in Oberyn's survival essentially yes. you know he is a potential ally to her now whilst he was originally introduced as a potential enemy you know there is an uneasy truce that can be struck between them um, yeah. because he's yeah. he's her window to Marcella essentially you know he, well yeah, he can, yeah that's it and I mean, the other side of it is you think because because you know the character, and so we we are seeing this of this honesty from her that we have seen her scheming and plotting all for all for the last you know, three and a half seasons, and we've even seen it. There was there was an allusion to it earlier when she was having the conversation with Tywin when he was talking about the um, Diane Bank, but no, where she's talking about Tyrion and what he deserves, and um, was, I can't I'm a judge, I can't discuss it with you. So she, part of you know that when you first see her then approach over and you think right that's the reason she's gone there she's gone there to manipulate him to try and get information out of him or to try and get him to do something and then actually that doesn't transpire at all you know we, we there, there's the start of the conversation where and he says oh we'll have a trial and we'll find out the truth and it's like she kind of goes oh you know what i can't be fucking bothered i'm gonna get the same run around with my father i'm just gonna change the subject and then they want to have this really honest conversation um, and yeah, it, it's you know, part of you thinks that you know, that's I mean, she's always got an ulterior motive, and that that was quite clearly what it was. But it's it's almost as if she's kind of whether she's broken or she's running out running out of steam or whatever it is that she in this episode she's gone. You know what? I don't want to fight the world today. I'm just going to go and fucking sit down and live in it, as yeah. opposed to what I do every other day. And it's it's a refreshing change for her you know, to see her like that. But you just kind of wonder wh where it's going to go and what's going to come next because. If she's taking a bit of time off to reflect, you know, to reflect and relax and whatever else, she's going to come back twice as fucking bitchy as she was in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, for, for the time being, um, just giving her this this room to breathe. Yeah, really gives us some some excellent stuff. Yeah, and just to press that reset. And you know, every every character needs that now and again, and every story arc needs that now and again. There has to be peaks and troughs. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice just to step back and take stock of who this character is and where she's come from and where she's going. Um, sadly, where she's going as a character is down, really. But we'll talk about that when it happens as well. Yeah, um, there'll be lots to talk about when that happens. Yeah. Um, so for the meantime, anyway, then we're over to Pod and Brienne. Um, nice scene. Beautiful Their relationship scene. is off to a good start. They've got a lot to build from here. Uh, the scene yeah. itself. It's it's great, but it doesn't add too much other than just introduce us to their relationship. But it is really good stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I think that given that you know we've seen Pod for no, we've only ever seen Pod with um, Tyrion. Yeah, and we, you know we saw Brienne has kind of flitted from story to story to story where you now she was with um, oh fucking what's his name Renly. Um, then she was with Kat, then she was with Jamie, now she's with... So it, you kind of think, right, you, we need something... We've seen her with some very in some very serious circumstances, with some very serious people, so we need to give her some comedy. We need to give her, again, a bit of a, a, bit of a breather, a bit, no, a, a, bit of a, a bit of respite before the next part of her story kicks off. Um, so having this scene with her and Pod, it does fuck all for the story. It doesn't drive anything whatsoever. It's comic filler. But it does set up that relationship quite well. And Pod is one of these characters who throughout the show, he's always, you know, he, he's as a squire should be. He's sort of seen and not heard. And he's kind of just sort of there in the background. And then when he's needed, he's there. And it's kind of like he, you know, he knows what he should be doing and she knows what he should be doing. And he's not fucking doing it because he never did it for Terry and he doesn't actually know how to do it. 
and it's just like it's like she's she's kind of like parenting him. It's yeah. almost as like you know he's he's a child who should know better, but he's never had the teaching. He's never had the fucking. He's never, he's never shown things. He doesn't know the right way to do things. He, he has good intentions, but he's just fucking stupid. Not not stupid, but you know, he's fucking useless in terms of what he should be doing. And it starts off with you know, her just being off. Oh, fuck's sake, just go away. I don't want you. I don't need you. Piss off. You're going to slow me down. And there's you know, this bond that grows. And kind of the way that it did with Jamie as well, whereby it starts off as one thing and becomes something completely different. It's just a lot quicker with Pod because you get it over the course of two scenes or three scenes here as opposed to... Uh, I suppose of a half a season, but I liked it. I thought it, it did very, very well, and obviously to see um, to see somebody ride a horse worse than me was quite uh, quite entertaining. Uh, you've never seen me ride a horse, have you? <laughs> I'd love to be a cowboy. I really would, but I ain't going anywhere near no fucking horse. That's for sure. No. Horses no. to me are as planes are to Mister T. Um, <laughs> I ain't getting on no horse, fool. No chance. Um, <laughs> Not supposed to have living things. But no, I'm gonna leave that there. I'm gonna yeah. leave that. I need yeah. Don't yeah. finish that sentence. Just no, don't, don't no, do it. Yeah, no, I'm gonna leave that right there. That was too easy. Um so okay, moving on swiftly. Um onto the onto the real meat of, of the episode. And and just just to say before I get to my summing up as well, when we get through this scene, like as good as a lot of the stuff has been in this episode, as I say, and, and it's nice to have the breather. Um, there has been a lot of treading water. Yeah, there's, you know, it's but like I say, so you need that sometimes. But you know, a lot of what's here is I feel unnecessary, but it's all good, so it's fine. Um, and then sort of the last chunk of this episode just moves things on quite a lick uh, in in the space of a. A couple of scenes, really. Um, yeah. Now, but first and foremost, and I know we've talked about this before, but this one really fucking annoyed me. Like, didn't it take us two or three episodes to get to Craster's last time we had to get to Craster's? Yeah, but you know, time is time's fluid in this show. Now. I know, but this one just really fucking annoyed me. You know, like last time, it was a real big thing getting to Craster's. Yeah, because it it's kind of like halfway halfway between the middle of fucking nowhere where they were going and and the wall, so it's it was a trek. Yeah, it was a fucking mission to get all, there. All of a sudden, yeah, they, you know, they've, they've you know, clicked the heels together three times and they're there. Um, but I, I mean, this this sequence, again, I, I really like this this whole sequence. And it's it seems to be an interesting way they've decided to do, and they've done it a couple of times, whereby they'll do, oh, they did it with the, the, the wedding, didn't they, with Joffrey and Marjorie's wedding. They do half an episode of everything that's unrelated. Yeah. And then they spend the last, uh, the last half, the last third, whatever it is, on, in one place. And so, I don't know. I, I I can't make out can't make up my mind whether it's a bold choice or whether they've kind of gone. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. Um, I think I'm 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 never quite convinced. I'm I'm never quite convinced by it because it's un it's it's more unconventional. I think than I'm used to. It it's very unconventional because we're we're used to a more conventional A story B story yeah. kind of kind of format. With this last half and and the wedding and that episode would have been the A story. And then maybe your stuff with Sansa would have been the B story, and then everything yeah. else is just kind of dressing. Um, I I think it's like this purely because, and we've talked about this in the show before, um, purely because the pacing and the editing is just still not quite there yet. It is the yeah, thing. I, yeah. I don't think they're maybe. confident enough to flick back and forth between these. Um, and for, look, for what it's worth, it it doesn't feel wrong. It it's odd because no, no, we're it... not used to it. 
and it, and it does almost feel like two episodes. Yeah, it, right. and and that that is weird, but it, it's not that it doesn't work because it you know having this whole scene play through um, does give it pace. It, it certainly does. It's like the whole scene because so much of it is action. The whole scene is like an extended action sequence, and that's something they will yes. do throughout the course of the show. And we've seen them do even with entire episodes. Um, but again, it, it almost feels like with with this, just just give it an episode if you want that much for it. You know, just just give it an episode. Just pad it out some more because Lord knows you're good at padding. You've already shown us this episode, so yeah. Just give it I mean, that. Not only that, I mean, I think was it, I can't remember if it's the last episode or the episode before, whereby um, again we we had quite a bit in this. No, I think it was when um, uh, Bran and fucking kid from Love actually got captured. And that we had no, we had quite a bit of, of build up in this thing, and we had this whole sequence where it was quite atmospheric and there's, there's a nice horror vibe to it. It was when um, we had the Night King. Um, yeah, the baby it was really good. Yeah, really good, really atmospheric. If you'd had over the course of a fucking episode. The, this entire block with you know, Bran and his party get there, they get captured. We have all this sort of the atmospheric horror type, you know, horror type stuff with um, with the brothers, and then and of the same all that stuff that's taking place over sort of two and a half, three episodes, stick it in one chunk and still end it with the Night King and then turning the baby into yeah. the White Walker and all the rest of it. That that's fucking no, that's a fucking Emmy right there. Yeah, and you know we've talked about this in the in in the past as well. How there seems to be this this need from them to to cram as many storylines as possible into a show, just so you remember who people are and what they're doing. Yes, and that does hurt some of these characters. And and you're dead right. If that had been one episode, all of that, it's a mini movie at that point. Yeah. And I don't mean that to sound derogatory towards TV, but that's what it is. You know, it's yeah. it's. Uh, it's a complete story, essentially, in one episode. And if you never, ever watch any other Game of Thrones, you'd be able to follow that because you have the direct threat of the babies in peril and you have a hero going to save them. Yeah. It's one story. Um, but yeah, they, they don't do that for whatever reason. And again, it just comes down to, I think, I don't think it's a lack of confidence because that is one thing they, they certainly have in spades. Yes. Uh, I think it's just a lack of knowledge simple and simple as they just don't know any better they're not they're not experienced enough um and as the show matures you know bearing in mind we're now halfway through the run pretty much but as the show matures they will they will get to that point you know we do get entire episodes uh as i say centered on one storyline and this it's stronger for it most of the time um, it, it is although given the nature of this show half the fucking cast are dead by the time they do that they've got the well, more time yeah. There's that too. Um, so, you know, this isn't perfect, this run to the end by any means. Now, obviously, because it's north of the wall and because it's John um, and because there's a vague threat of White Walkers involved, I'm all in. Um, but there, there is some shit that annoys me. Um, yeah. There's some stuff that really annoys me. The worst thing of the episode happens right at the start here. We get a god-awful cut to the hand on fire. Um, yes. It, it, it's god awful. Like it was really clumsy. It's again, it's like fucking film school editing. It's like right, I've got oh. this sh- this footage and this footage, and I can we just go back and reshoot that? Nah, fuck it. Just make do with what you've got. Okay, it's terrible. Um, yeah, but then no, we again, get... it's, it's it, it. This is no zero budget stuff. This isn't fucking ten million dollars an episode stuff. There's no reason they couldn't get that shot right. 
No, but then, you know, that sucks. And then just off the back of it, we get sort of the build-up then where we get like lines like, I, I saw the snow fall and bury your bones. And then we hear the scream. And it's just like, it's, that's so good. That, yeah. You know, like, that's so tense and so well done. And then you do something silly like that cut to the hand earlier. It's, it's terrible. But in general as well, and I know I've mentioned this, uh, I think it was last week. Um, at least last week as you're listening, um, these kind of close calls that they keep having at the moment between Bran and John are great. They make for wonderful drama and they add weight to both of their stories. Um, it does. And it's, it's, just... it's, it's nice at this point as well because there's a choice at this point as well where, um, as, as events unfold in this sequence, Bran is within fucking shouting distance. Yes. He raises his voice. John fucking knows he's there. Yeah. Because at this point, John wouldn't have a clue. I mean, presumably John still thinks he's dead. Yeah. From, from when uh, from when Theon supposedly killed him. So he he raises his voice and that this his entire story ends. And there's there's a conscious choice that um uh what's his fucking name? Jojen, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he says, look. He won't let you go. You know what you need to do, but if if you see if John sees you, you're you're done. This ain't gonna happen. And Bran, as a I mean, what's he at this point? Is he about fucking eleven or something? I guess he's just about I mean, preteen, I think, isn't he? Yeah, because I mean, he was he was he was ten in the first season, but we, there's no way of knowing whether that was a fucking year or fucking ten in the show. Um, but yeah, he 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 has to make a very mature choice. And it, you know, it, it's a really nice thing. So we've had these close calls. We had the bit where he encounters Sam and Gilly where they're coming south and they're, and and um, Bran and Party are going north. And then you have this this near miss again. And you think, fucking hell, it's just, de- no, it's just destined not to happen. And it, it's a really nice touch. And again, it just it, it kind of brings that part of the story to a close whereby John's a Castle Black and we've got a Castle Black. Well, no, he's not, actually. So let's just fucking leave him there. And Bran has got what he wanted at this point. He's got back to his brother. He's got back to the only family he's got left. But he chooses to move on. And again, this is something that the character of Bran has been so fucking underwhelming, is probably the best word, um, since since he got chucked out the window, that all of a sudden he's he's actually got a bit of agency. Things aren't just happening to him. He's making a choice. And I really I re- for for his story, I really like that because it's the first time I've actually given a fuck. Yeah, it's handled very, very well. Um and like I said, it's because that setup is there and we've had this these close calls before with them as well so all of that i think plays out really well and as you say his choice at the end is handled perfectly as well there's no we don't need any extra exposition from bran when it's happening we understand his thought process because it's been given to us earlier on um yeah that all works really well however there are two massive flaws in logic that are required to get us here Um, And they are huge. And generally, I'm not the one pointing these out, but that's how big they are. Okay, so there's two of them. They both relate to the same thing. Um, Bran can walk into Hodor. So first of all, why didn't he do it earlier? Yeah, right. That makes no sense. The only reason he didn't do it earlier is so that we can stage things to get us to the point where he has to make that choice. Yeah. Secondly, why doesn't he get John's attention whilst walked into Hodor? before that conversation happens yeah it, it makes no sense no no, no i understand well. as as we said with his choice if either of those two things happen brand story ends here but he hadn't but, realized that, at that point. No, the, the choice that he makes makes perfect sense those two instances are just massive 
massive gaps of logic and they're not the biggest ones involving Bran and Hodor by a fucking country mile but <laughs> they they annoy me in this scene yeah they, they do annoy um, me I mean, um, it's better not to address it at all than yes. to just have it there and have him be able to walk into Hodor and then leave us with these just questions just find another way basically yeah. or if you can't find another way at least have him try to contact John as Hodor and have Hodor be cut off or something. Yeah, but they don't even. But try. again, it's but it's as always with the show. For all the good we've talked about in this episode, particularly, but it's shocking and all. So all of a sudden, now we've seen Bran walk into Hodor to shut him up. I think he did it when they were in the um, the old mill, weren't they? Where they, the the fighting was going on outside. Yeah. Um, and so they do that. He you know, Hodor collapses to the ground unconscious. So we know we can do it. This is shock and awe. This is taken to another level because all of a sudden he can control Hodor. He's not just he's not just you know, taking a little fucking detour around his brain. All of a sudden he controls his movement. He controls his actions. He controls his thoughts to a point where he commits cold-blooded fucking Lenny murder. Um, but um, yeah, so all of a sudden we see that you now that so that power has evolved. Um, you know, his his ability has evolved. He's he's stronger. He's more confident. He's more capable. But yeah, it's just um, it's it's just done for the sake of it. It's done so we can see him kill Locke. Yeah. And then see Hodor's minimal reaction to that. Because again, it looks like Hodor's about to freak out. And then Bran just says, get the knife, cut me loose, and fuck off and help the others. And that's it. His panic is over. And given the fact that he, you know, he is I think they call him simple, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um be, you know, be, because because he's um no, because he is the way he is, you expect you no, know, that's the sort of thing you'd expect to really freak him out. And for him to be absolutely inconsolable and uncontrollable and all the rest of it for a good fucking period until he gets over the fact there's blood on his hands. Yeah. But again, they've just not handled that problem. They've gone, right, okay, well, we can throw that away now. He's yeah, done no, that. It, yeah, it, it needed addressing. The, the, the Hodor stuff, I wish they'd just never done it. Well, I mean, the Full Hodor stop, not just here. in general. Yeah. Yeah, the Hodor in general, the whole thing of it. And obviously there's a big reveal later on with Hodor. And it, I just lost the fucking point. No. I love him never understood. Love him. Yeah. Love him to bits. But I, I have a lot of time for him as a character because he's a fucking gentle giant. He's a bit like me, only a bit stupider. Arguably. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one of those. There's, there's not really a lot of point. It's just, there are it's million, just, whenever they it's, do it's, something with him, it seems it seems like a reach. And it seems like they reach for it because they want to involve him rather than he naturally should be involved. Because to naturally bring him into this, we wouldn't have all of these questions. No, that's but right. But there's always questions. And, so yeah, and I mean, I mean, the, the whole the whole Hodor character and sort of the, what, the obviously they, they they build for in five books, I guess at this point because it's not it must have come from the books. But the whole thing is, you know, there are far easier ways to get around the reason that we have Hodor. It would be far easier to do it in a million other ways. Oh, let's not let's not jump the gun and go on to that now. Let's go no, on no, to no. that when we we'll get, get to that when it. we get to it. But we get to it when we get to it. But I mean, it's my whole my whole. We're talking about Hodor as, as as a character. My whole thing with Hodor is he's fucking pointless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he no, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. We'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, we'll, there is yeah, a, we'll, we'll, there is a massive get to that issue episode, with, with Hodor as, as a character. Um, we'll, we'll narratively, we'll get onto that when we get to it because yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to bury the lead. Um, yeah, and let's just enjoy, to say on that. Yeah, one. let's just enjoy him while we've got him for the time being. But that that annoys me. Um, the, these two gaps in logic, um, and yeah. then there's a further gap in logic. Like I say, look, I'm not. 
coming down to this too hard. I think the scene itself is very good. It's full of tensions, full of action. Brand's choice is handled very, very well. Um, but then we get this just, well, I want to say climactic fight, but it's not, is it? Because as we discussed last week, like there's clearly no threat to John here at all. No. And not no. only is there no threat to John, okay, he arms himself with two daggers and makes a big show about it, about how yeah. he has two daggers against John's longsword and armor. Now, A, what the fuck? We all know, bit of common sense, right? We all know there's only going to be one winner there. But it is as if that wasn't bad enough. The Hound has literally told us in this episode, not 20 minutes ago, how useless something like a little dagger is going to be against armor and a big fucking sword. Yeah. So only one of these people can be right. So, you know. Yeah, and... I mean, uh, the fight itself, again, they've tried to choreograph it a bit. They've tried to dance around a little bit. And we get, you know, John, John's in peril. He gets, you know, gets stabbed in the side. I think you know, there's you know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of tension. And then he gets st- stabbed between the shoulder blades. Right. But somehow his body defies the laws of anatomy and physics because he can pull it out and then turns on the on the uh, the girl who stabbed him. I'm sorry, he wouldn't be able to fucking stand at that point. Let alone get the bastard thing out. Yeah. But somehow he manages it. And he's still all menacing and as Boone Gorman always is. And then he gets a sword through the mouth via the back of his skull, which I thought was a nice touch. Great fucking death, though. Uh, Oh, it is. Absolutely. Brilliant death. But again, fucking um, suspension of disbelief because that happens, it severs your spinal cord and you just collapse. You don't drop to your knees and have a big fucking movie death. But anyway, Uh, I'll I'll let that go. Yeah. It would be as cool if you did that. Suspension of disbelief. I'll go with that. You know, I. It's a very cool death, and it, you know, especially as well, we've we've had a discussion between the two of them about honor. There is a lot of yes. talk of honor, and so for John to actually end him by stabbing him in the back, yes. essentially, is also thematically. I'm going to go with juicy, thematically <laughs> juicy as well. Um, I think that's so a I like it. Term, isn't that? Yeah, I, I like it. I like it a great deal. Um, and then we get the payoff with the direwolf as well, which is just yes. wonderful. It's expertly handled, and it just closes that little loop off perfectly. It's like a little flourish on this whole chunk of the story. Um, it's really, really well done. Um, but but just... again, I mean, the the end of uh, Rast with, um, with where Ghost jumps in again. It was set up when we had the the, the sort of the horror elements. A couple of episodes was the last yeah. episode. I can't remember. That last episode. Yeah, yeah. So we we've had. We had that set up. It was really nice. So again, if, if this is playing out as a mini movie and if this is your one fucking sequence for the for the episode, that's done. Again, that's perfect. That's done. That's perfect fucking horror yeah, movie like for it, where it just, you set it. You know, it's it's you know, it's catch and release. You set it up and then yeah. you, and then you let it go. Yeah, Chekhov's gun essentially, isn't it? It's, yeah, you know, he's, he's playing with a the gun there. Um, yeah, it, like I say, it just closes the loop perfectly. It it just, it just brings this whole scene. Because that's what it is. It's gone over two episodes, I know, but it's essentially one scene, as you've said, and it brings it yeah. all full circle and closes the loop. It's great. Um, and then, of course, John is reunited with with Ghost. And, yeah. like, this is how fucking stupid dogs are, right? Okay, I know it's a wolf, right? This is how stupid dogs are. Like, John has literally abandoned him. And then he's, he's like, yeah. oh, I missed you, boy. Well, he doesn't fucking seem like he's missed him because he's made no effort whatsoever to go and find him. Like yeah. and, now, and go straight away. Yeah. My my bigger problem with Ghost is that he's just ripped fucking Rast's throat out and there's no blood on him. 
Oh yeah, good point. He's still fucking Snow White, but anyway, that's no, that's uh, that's a minor point. Um, but yeah, I mean that no, that all brings brings it back to bear quite nicely, you know. And and then obviously, you know, we get John feeding back in, and his whole thing of the, they had to go go north to 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 see off um, this band of mutineers because Mance has an army of a hundred thousand people coming south. That hasn't been fucking mentioned for three weeks. No. And he said, oh, yeah, I better tell you why I've come and fucking killed all these people who are supposed to be my brothers. Oh, yeah, Man's Raid is coming, and he'll do worse than this fucking lot. And then um, one of the wives slash daughters says, you know, Craster beat us and worse. Your fucking brothers beat us and worse. And now you want us to come with you to Castle Black so other people can beat us and worse. We'll take our chances, mate. You fuck off. Um so that was really no, that was really nice. I thought again, that was though, really nice. I thought it was that was a, handled it was very a nice. Well. It, yeah, it was a nice touch, and again, it it just puts a bit of agency on other characters where things aren't just happening to them, and they've kind of gone, you know what? We have been victims, but we're not. No, we're not just going to carry on like fucking no, simpering idiots. We're, no, enough's enough. We're going to go and, and do what we do. And if you, you, I don't think we ever see them again, do we? Um, we don't. I think, no. I think no. This this is this is it for Craster's wives, apart from Gilly. Um, but yeah, so off off they go into the sunset and probably turn into White Walkers. Um, and, and again, but, just just thematically, you know, calling back to the discussion between Cersei and Oberyn, you know, everywhere in the world they hurt little girls, and Cersei being this cornered animal who takes agency for herself though and comes out swinging, and here it is now in these characters as well. Yes. So that thematically ties in as well. So it, yeah, it's nice. It's good stuff. Yeah, it worked really well. And obviously, we end the episode with um, where they, you know, they they've got the uh, the heads of the, um, the mutineers on spikes, and they they burn Craster's keep down. Um, again, really nice, no, really nice touch. And it's sort of, it's almost a bit like it's victory for John. He's he's done what he set out to do. You know, he's gone there with a the mission. And he's he's accomplished it. But he's more than that, it's, he's reunited with Ghost. But it kind of it's righted some wrongs. You know, so the the Night's Watch have gone. You know, the Night's Watch was sort of they were the, the worst of the worst, and they were sent they were sent to protect men. So no, they they were rapists and murderers and all the rest. So they were sent to the wall, and their punishment was they had to fucking up. They had to put their lives at risk to protect men, be that from wildlings or be that from White Walkers or whatever. And that kind of went went awry because all of a sudden, you know, we we found out that you no know, Mormont knew about that Craster was sacrificing the the sons, and that you know the the oath they take and all the rest. So there are other ways of life. And John, so John questioned that quite a lot, especially last season when he was with Egret. And now it's kind of like he's he's righted the course and he's put these put things back the way they should be, at least for the time being with the with the Night's Watch. They're back. They've they've gone out and they've, you know, he's he's taken a fucking team and he's done the, the right thing, the honourable thing. He's he's killed the he's killed the traitors who were abusing and hurting and killing people and all the rest of it. He's he's done something very noble and very just even though he's had to stab somebody in the back of the fucking head to do it. And it's that, you know, it's this sort of thing that we, we see with John that, and you know, we saw it when he killed um, the half hand and, and joined, um, joined Egret and Tormund and that, that he will do what is necessary um, or what he feels is necessary for the right reasons. And so the ends justify the means sort of thing. And this, this is a nice little reminder that actually he's gone in, he's led a fucking massacre where 11 mutineers and five of his own people have been killed. But he's gone in and done, and he's done what Danny has tried to do. He's gone in and liberated, yes. but slightly more successfully. And he's made it so that the people who have been liberated are not at the mercy of somebody else to come in 
and fuck them over like we had at um, the start of the episode, which has happened in Marine and in Astapor. So it's 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 nice the way it puts John and Danny on a path early on, even though it, it doesn't look like it closely. They're miles apart and their stories aren't entwined yet. The it puts them on that same path whereby they're both making the same choices, but one is making them for the right reasons, one is making for the wrong reasons, and it's kind of working for one better than the other. Yes, um, I actually talk about that in my summation notes as well. I think what you've hit on there, and no, 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 it's it's cool. You've 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 led us into it nicely. Uh, Nice, nice dovetail. Nice show we don't plan. Uh, Yeah, um, it's you know we we do have this theme in this episode, um, as I say, you've got the loose tie between Cersei and Sansa and Craster's wives. Um, But the true theme of this episode, and there is one. Uh, again, uh, the truth in this episode is is ascension, and, and it carries throughout. You know, you've got Tommen and Bran both in ascension, and then yeah. you've also got John and Danny in ascension, and they're kind of two sides of a coin. Yeah. Uh, in, in those instances, and as you've said, John and Danny's actions are completely different to the actions that would be taken by Tommen and Bran. And then even when you break that down further, like you say, you can look at how John treats the people that he's liberated compared how Danny has treated hers. And so, yeah, it, it is about ascension and it is about the weight of rule, I think. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, again, when it wants to, this show can be very clever and very tight and have a theme. Um, and that's exactly what this episode is. You know, there's, other than the logic gaps and the horrible cut, there's nothing really to fault in this episode. It's It's very good. It's hardly the most exciting episode for the first 30 odd minutes um as i Mm. talked about but everything that's there is kind of just little movements of pieces really is is what we've got you know pieces are constantly moving it's just not the most enthralling stuff and you know some of it is a little bit of treading water i guess as well but the last act really is great um and like i said it's, it's got that theme which which hangs everything together this is another great episode for this season you know season four is on fire at this point yeah. like I, I don't think we've had a bad one no we've, we've had some that aren't as good as others but we've had i'd say probably oh the five episodes we've we've had so far that, that we've looked at i'd say all of them are in the top 10 that we've had yeah. since the beginning yeah like, it's, it's been agree. it's been solid it's been consistent um it's improved episode on episode but they've be, i think where they've made the changes so they have you know the the big standout event for the season um, normally happens in episode nine. Uh, in this episode, it's happening in this season, it's happened in episode two. So all of a sudden, rather than having a slow build, slow build, slow build, you've hit it with a bang. And now you're, you're trying to catch up with the ramifications of that. Whereas what's happened in the past is we've had a slow build to the, inc- the big incident. And then we kind of ignore it for an episode. And then we've tried to pick it up again, at the start of the following season. But by the time we actually get into that season, we're maybe two or three episodes in. And all the momentum you had by chopping Ned's head off, by having the Red Wedding, all of a sudden, you're kind of downhill. Whereas in this one, they've gone, right, we've had the Red Wedding at the end of season three. Just start to come down from that and into season four. And fucking El Joffrey's dead. And now, and you're just constantly into it. And yeah. it's, it's a, seems a much more successful way of doing it because all of a sudden, it, it's, it's piqued the interest in a way this show hasn't done before. Because I say five episodes in and I'm not now thinking, fuck, why are we doing this show? Why yeah, am I watching complete, this shit again? It's, it's the complete opposite. As I say, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, it's not a chore by any stretch in, in the same way that earlier seasons were. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as 
said earlier, and we've we've always said on the show, yes, we are very hard um, on particularly the Wonder Twins, but sometimes George R. R. Martin, sometimes the directors. Very rarely the cast, because the cast, you know, the cast can only work with what they're given and the way they're directed to to an extent. But credit where credit's due, this is a good episode. It's um, there's some be some really deft touches in the writing. There've you know, there've been some slightly heavy-handed touches in the writing, um, such as the Hound kind of choreograph in the end uh, for us. Um, but you know, the directing is very good, and I think you know, I say a couple of missteps aside, which you mentioned, this is probably you know, I'd say this is probably the best episode we've had in terms of. The the, um, the 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 purple wedding I think they call it, isn't it that was a big shock uh, that was shock and awe but it was a good sequence at the end this is a far more complete episode I feel um, and yeah. for me for me this is probably the, the, my favorite of the season so far uh, I'm not sure if it's my favorite I think just because I'm a, I'm a little bit detached from watching it now and I'm certainly yeah. more detached from the earlier episode so I might find it difficult to rank them um, but yeah it's, as I say it's certainly very good I, I feel like. There were points where I was slightly less interested um, than the rest of the episode, whereas, you know, we've had some episodes this season where I've just been on, on the edge of my seat and, and gripped throughout. Um, so I'm not sure if that's my favourite, but as, as we said, it's certainly this entire season so far, um, and, and we're halfway through it. And if, yeah. if we were to put a top ten together, all five of these episodes would be in it so yeah, far. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, absolutely. I think that speaks volumes for, for the direction that the show is going in at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, credit where credit's due. Um, you know, things have really picked up, and a lot of the things that we we've, we've been calling out, um, obviously, you know, we're far too late because the show is finished. It's not as if they're listening to us and going, "Oh, fucking now, what do we do this?" But you no, know, a lot of the things that we've been saying from day one have been lacking or have been done not the not particularly right way. They're now coming together, and all of a sudden, they're going, "Right, okay, well, they've they've changed tack on that, and now it makes sense. What they're doing now." is more logical now it pulls through together in a more natural fashion whereas before you were kind of trying to you know, wrestle everything together and you know, stick a belt around the suitcase to stop it from popping open and shooting shit everywhere um so i think you no know, it's definitely a more accomplished season so far um and i think i mean we're going to get some issues in the next year or so when our next season or so when the um when the yeah. um the, the show overtakes the books but we'll come to that when we come to it and there's going to be a lot to say about that as well um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying this season, and so I've really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, me too. Uh, two thumbs up from me. Yeah, as always, and um, we'd love to know what everybody else thinks because, you know, otherwise we're just talking to ourselves, which, you no, know, let's be fair, we you know, do a lot of the time anyway. Um, but yeah, get in touch. Um, let us know what you think uh, on Twitter at DD Podcast Net, uh, on Facebook with the Devil Down Podcast Network. Uh, you can go to our website, ddpodcast.net, where you can leave a message, uh, listen to our, our back catalog, some of our other shows as well, which uh, Chris talked about earlier on. Um, wherever you get your podcasts from, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Blueberry, any one of the millions of places that we've uh, registered them on, um, let us know. Um, give, us, give us a review, give us a, give us a, um, a like or whatever else, and, and get in touch, and we'll get back to you if we can. Uh, but until next time, game over.